Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Wherever, whenever, however you're listening to us, we're glad you're with us. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and back at the table with me today is Tim Cockrell. He's ready and willing, I believe, to discuss his most recent sermon here at Grace Baptist Church. That's from Exodus chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. We know that as commandments number 8, 9, and 10, and that was the text for Tim's sermon this past week. So, Tim, you, you've had a couple weeks off from being with us. I assume you've rested up and you're ready for this week. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. Well, good, as have I. I appreciate your being here and you're taking the time with us. So let's jump into it here. You made the comment early on regarding the Eighth Commandment uh, about stealing, that committing theft is a failure to trust God's provision and care. Can't we say that for each of the commandments? I think you can, and that's why... You know, even though it doesn't unpack this particular principle as we look at the Eighth Commandment, the undergirding principle, the foundational one, is the First Commandment, and that is the, that we have no other gods before God. And so I believe that thread it runs through all of the commandments. But I think specifically, when we have a level of, of discontent and dissatisfaction where our greed leads us to, to seize for ourselves, it's... It's a particular expression of a lack of trust in God and a refusal to obey him because we think that something that we want is of greater importance. And so one of the things we were trying to do as we went through all of these commandments is not just look at the danger to avoid, but also the priority to pursue. And in this case, it has to do with a, a sense of stewardship and contentedness in what God has chosen to entrust to our care. Wouldn't you say, too, that maybe that's a principle of, of just general Bible study, that as we're looking at a passage, what's said first kind of sets the tone, I'm thinking. And I'm thinking a, a very obvious one, Genesis 1-1, mm -hmm. in the beginning, God. But there are throughout Scripture we can come to others, but as, as we enter into a new discourse, which this is between God giving to Moses the Ten mm -hmm. Commandments, isn't that makes sense that the first thing that is said often sets a tone for what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, Psalm 1 would be another good example of that. The very right. first psalm is a paradigm for how we're to understand all of the psalms, what it means to live in wisdom. And even when you look at the epistles, many times they begin with kind of a theological foundation that then goes into pastoral or practical application. Mm. And so I do think we want to look at how a passage is structured, not just what it says. Good, good. Well, Tim, you also presented a couple of pretty intensive lists. We talked about this a little bit before we went onto the microphones and, you know, of ways we, we lie, ways that we steal, maybe things that we don't think of in the same way as just, you know, my telling you that your hair looks great today because <laughs> we know you don't have any hair. But <clears throat> so, so say that there's a listener who, who's relatively new to the faith of course, it could be anybody who's mm -hmm. been around for a long time as well. But they're saying, you know, I struggle with some of these. I struggle with a lot of these little, may be considered more picky aspects of, of these types of sins. Maybe there are bad habits ingrained in the way they deal with stressful situations. They've developed patterns to, that kind of keep them from, it, from being easy for them to adhere to these no stealing, no lying. Do you have some encouragement for that person? 
Well, the, the first part of my encouragement isn't going to sound very encouraging. Uh-oh. And that is that until we really understand the bad news, we can't appreciate the good news. Or to put it a different way, if I'm lost in the ocean, but I'm confident that I'm such a good swimmer that I don't need any help, I'm going to drown because I'm going to refuse the help that I so desperately need. And so one of the purposes of the law is to bring us to the end of ourselves, that we might realize our inability and our insufficiency. And and as uncomfortable as that is, it actually frees us to recognize that what we need, God has already provided. Not that we have it innately, but that Christ has paid the penalty. He lived the sinless life that we couldn't live with perfect obedience to the law. And then he died that sacrificial death that we deserved. Once we begin to understand that, then the ingrained patterns of sin that we see, we begin to apply the gospel to them. We remind ourselves that there isn't any condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can live in obedience to these commands. Not perfectly, not, not you know, completely, but progressively, that we might begin to show that the fruit of the Spirit that is produced within me is not because I'm so good or I work so hard, but because God is so good and His Spirit is so powerful in our lives. And so if you're somebody sitting here saying, man, I just come away from looking at the Ten Commandments wrecked by the the depth of my sin, as counterintuitive as it sounds, that's a good thing if it propels us to the cross. And in the cross, we are assured of our forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us. It reminds me of the comedy sketch on TV. You may be too young to remember this, but I remember it so well. The doctor going in, the old family doctor going in and kind of, the guy says, hey, Doc, it hurts when I do that. He said, well, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, diagnostic tools like preaching mm-hmm. are often painful. Yes. And that's good. Pain, and, and, and we've got to remember, too, pain is what? Pain is given from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's good for us so that we can diagnose problems that are there. Yes. The same word that God has given us is revelation it cuts us and it heals us at the same time. And and there's a divine surgery that is going on that, although uncomfortable, is transformational. Good, good. So and and that's the is that not the the role of preaching? Preaching is and how do how do we know God's word? We preach and how do how our hearts change? Preaching the word of God. The word of God is what is a cutting, mm-hmm. powerful. Good. Yep. Very good. Well, then there's the 10th commandment, and this one is a little different. And, and we talked about the beginning is important. Often the ending is just as important. And that is, uh, you know, to say I've heard this particular commandment categorized as the, and don't even think about it in air quotes, comment or camp commandment. And this is really the one I think we should all say, no mas, no mas. I, okay, I don't, you know, lie. I don't steal. I don't commit murder. But then I think, oh boy, how many times have I thought about it? And Mm -hmm. Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 5, we've talked about that before. That's okay, you've done it already. So if we haven't come to the end of ourselves, as John Wood pointed out last week, uh, by the first nine commandments, this 10 commandments really should bring us there, shouldn't it? It should. And I think 
one of the things that this 10th commandment really illumines for us is what's undergirding really all of the commandments. And that is, it's not just about modifying your behavior or legislating your morality, because there are many, you know, over the history of Christianity, there are many aesthetic monks, for instance, that would say, I'm going to, you know, hole up in a, a room so that I can't be tempted by these different things. And yet, their heart is really the source of sin. And so walling themselves off from the world isn't really the solution. And that's one of the reasons why, as I look at Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter five, some people will say, look at the way Jesus expands on the 10 commandments. I believe Jesus is illumining the 10 commandments, making it clear that all along it was a matter of the heart. And so it's not just, hey, get your act together externally, but rather get your heart right internally, which is the very thing we can't do. And so as we come to the end of ourselves, there is a sense in which we feel broken, but there is also beauty in that, that that is when we are ready to receive the message of the gospel. Tim, you and I have grown up in in faith environments mm-hmm. uh, that have often been accused of being more works-based. Uh, we're known more by what we don't do than what we do do. And I think it, it wouldn't be good for us to, to talk a little bit about, okay, what are some of the ramifications of that? And certainly there are things we don't want to do. I don't want to lie, but I don't want to be known for not lying as much as I'm known for being truthful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Can we talk about that a little bit, about that, that whole dynamic of just, uh, okay, just, okay, these are things I don't do. Right. For me, the foundation of this is really how we're to view the law. If the law is somehow the basis of our right standing with God, or, or the measuring stick, if you will, of our spirituality, well, then we're constantly going to be trying to use the law in a way that it was never intended. We, you know, Romans chapter 3 tells us that no one is going to be justified by the law. And so if I'm trying to justify myself, either before God or even before others, by my morality, I'm misusing the law. But if instead I say the law and obedience to it is my response to God, that as he has laid out here how my people are to behave, then if my heart is so enthralled with who God is and my identity is secure in him, then my response to him will be, I love him so much. I want to reflect who he is in my character. I want to demonstrate the message of the gospel to those who are around me. So using lying as an example, I think of God as the source and standard of truth. And if God as the source and standard of truth has accepted me in all of my brokenness and sin, why would I pretend to be something other than I'm not? In that, I'm misrepresenting God and essentially denying the gospel. And so it's the the outworking of my gospel identity as opposed to just a checklist of my personal morality. I like funerals. <clears throat> and that may sound counterintuitive to a lot of people too, but mm-hmm. I enjoy especially a Christian funeral where a person has lived a faithful life. Uh, I've thought during those times, how do I want people to remember me? And I'm sure we've all thought that. But one of the things that keeps coming back to me, I don't want necessarily people to say, well, he was a good person. Mm. He was this, he was that, he did this. I do want people to say, he really loved people. Mm -hmm. Not just for what they could give him, but he really loved people and he showed his love for God in doing that. I think that's important. And getting back again, Jesus 
boils it down in Matthew chapter 22, the whole commandment, or the two basic commandments, love mm-hmm. God, love others. Um, but that, that strikes me. I, I want to be known more for loving others than I do just, and, and whatever flows out of that mm-hmm. is gravy. Right. Well, and I think an important point to make and, and to to emphasize is there are many people in our culture who will so emphasize love that they view moral commandments as almost contradictory to love. You know, well, I'm not going to be this judgmental, legalistic person. I'm going to be this loving, more permissive person. And to that person, I would just remind us that John chapter 13, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That the expression of love for God that he commands us to and summarizes it is still, even in this New Testament age, expressed in obeying the commandments that he's given. And if I love my children, I will do what? I will tell them no. Mm-hmm. Appropriately, mm-hmm. in appropriate times. And if I love you and I see you heading in a direction you shouldn't go, I will tell you, hey, Tim, not good. Right. Haven't had to do that. Huh? That's a good thing. <laughs> Okay, Tim, uh, knowing that my actions are outgrowths of my thoughts, and we see that in James, we see that in a number of other places, I am reminded of Paul's statement in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, in, in the midst of a lot of other things he's saying, but take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a great admonition. How do we do that? Well, I think the first step is constantly asking ourselves, what is at the root of what I'm doing? So what is the, the reason why my motive in doing that? So if I'm lying, what is it that I'm wanting so much that I'm willing to twist the truth in order to have it? If I'm coveting, what are my thoughts about God or my fears about the future that are leading me to desire something that God hasn't seen fit to give me? And so, I mean, if you want to use an iceberg illustration, if you will, we often focus our attention on that little bit that's pointed outside of out of the water and we say, oh, we, we've got to address that. But unless we deal with what's under the surface, it really isn't going to be effective. Or to use a different analogy, if my lawn is full of dandelions and I send my kids out to pluck all the dandelions heads, well, that's not going to do any good because I haven't gotten it from the root and by the way there's nothing wrong with dandelions tim my yard is full of them (laughs) as long as my my yard has something green on it i don't really much care (laughs) what it is um but so as far as how we then do it it does start at the heart and the thought level so when we talk about conflict what are the desires that are going unfulfilled that leave me to feel like i need to fight so if conflict then is a desire detector what is it that I'm wanting so much? And many times we need other people to help us to see that too. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we often deceive ourselves. We, we justify ourselves. We minimize our sin and we excuse our behavior. And sometimes what we need is our spouse or someone in a community group or ABF to say, hey, you often seem kind of condescending or what you just said doesn't seem like it really fits with what actually happened And then we need to have the humility to really listen and to respond. I hesitate to give this example, but I think it's an appropriate one. And I'm not talking about any one particular person, Mm -hmm. although if this fits, uh, you know who you are. 
And that is, uh, recently there were, uh, there's been a, in our little community, a ballot initiative that was being uh, promoted by some. And uh, it would be a ballot initiative that certain ones and others in the community would have, would be against. Mm -hmm. And as individuals were going around collecting petitions, they, there were some comments made perhaps snide, perhaps not. I didn't hear them, but there were some comments made that just came across to those ones as less than loving. Mm. Um, those are the kinds of things I think we do need to examine our hearts. We can d- disagree mm-hmm. without being hurtful. We can say the truth and, and, and have a good conversation uh, without making accusations that we're not sh- that we don't really know all the details, perhaps. And I think those are the types of things where rubber meets the road. And I like what you say about you know those close to us being uh, helping to diagnose. Uh, hey, spiritually, you look pale today, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Uh, I need that. I know, and so my wife is is good at that, and I'm so thankful. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope I do the same for her. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Okay, here, here's something that came to mind, and I, I had this discussion with a couple of people, uh, specifically with regard to wanting more. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't we all want more? We want to be sure. more effective, even, even spiritually. We mm-hmm. want to. Uh, there were years ago, fifteen, twenty. Uh, Bruce Wilkerson come out with a book, the the Jabez Principle, sure. or Prayer of Jabez, mm-hmm. I think, I guess it was, and expanding our boundaries mm-hmm. and our borders. We won't talk about you know, the efficacy or the uh, propriety of that particular concept, but there is a concept, and it's appropriate to pray that God will use me more. God, mm-hmm. give me more opportunities. You did talk about that a little bit from the platform, but God doesn't always choose to give those opportunities to right. us. Even if we're praying and we think our heart's pure, is it appropriate to do that? Number one, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. And we'll go ahead and talk about it. But number two, is it appropriate to feel disappointed when Absolutely. we don't get what we ask for? We think in good, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think when we think about the ways that God provides for us, we should be content. But there are many good desires that we can have while still being content. You know, so someone maybe wants to be married. They can say, you know, without shame, I would like to be married, but I choose to be content with where God has placed me. I would like to have a bigger home, but I choose to be content with where I am. I would like to make more money than I do, maybe, but I choose to be content with what I have. And so contentment, then, is taking those desires and tethering them to truth, anchoring them in what we know to be true. And this becomes especially difficult, I think, in the areas of suffering. So I pray, God, would you heal this loved one who's dealing with cancer or some chronic condition? And we know that God invites us to pray those things and that God loves us enough to be able to answer those prayers if it's within his will, but sometimes he doesn't. And so when we look at the Psalms, there are many Psalms in which the psalmist is expressing his disappointment with God. But I think the key thing we have to observe, that in spite of the lament that we see there, and I think just as an aside, I think we as Christians have have lost the art of lament. We either are grumbling and complaining or trying to just put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay. It's okay to lament the brokenness of this world or the disappointments of our heart, but that where we get the salve for the brokenness of our heart is not in pretending like things are okay or in trying to grab something that we think our heart needs, 
but in resting in the good and loving care of God. And many times that's what we find in the, the Psalms is they're saying, God, where are you? Will you forget me forever? And then toward the end, it'll almost invariably say, but I trust in you and you are my God. And so I think that ends up being the key thing is when those desires go unmet, when those expectations are disappointed, where does our heart go and how do we respond? And that is really revealing. You talk about it being revealing. Um, if we're overly disappointed, is that maybe an indication that our desires are maybe not as pure as they should be? Or that Ouch. they've, yeah, that they've become idolatrous <laughs> desires because any good desire can become a ruling desire, a, a demand, if you will. And many times we don't know that it's a ruling desire or an idolatrous demand until it goes unmet. And I know that, you know, in marriage specifically, like in the first year, there were certain expectations you didn't know you had until they went unmet. And then it's like, why am I so frustrated? Moving right along. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Keep going. Well, and there are so many things that, that we just come to expect as normal or appropriate or even what we deserve that when that goes unmet, it's a really powerful spiritual catalyst, has a potential to be at least, to help us to examine our heart and to surrender even good desires to God's good care. Paul mentions one time about the thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. He prayed three times. And God chose not to remove it. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, mm -hmm. not giving you the results of your prayer. And I'm reading into this. I think it's a, an appropriate reading in God, not relieving you of this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, will help me to achieve my ends mm -hmm. through you is what God seems to be saying. It's interesting that Paul only mentions that one time. Hmm to me because Paul wrote more than half of, well, well over half of the books of the New Testament. He could have harped on that an awful lot. Mm -hmm. God, if you only do this, I'm content, but if you only do this, I can mm -hmm. be more effective. Interesting to me, they only mentioned it one time that yep. we know of. Right. Well, and you know, we referenced Philippians chapter four on Sunday that he says, I've actually learned the secret to being content. Right. And ultimately... It and that is, may be a reflection of this particular matter or not. It may or may not be, but I think the root principle is what, what we see then worked out throughout the New Testament is that he says, whatever I need to do will be because of Christ working in me. And if that's in my weakness, then I will glory in my weakness because it will showcase his power. So the Ten Commandments can be boiled down, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, not only to love God and love others, but are you content in God? Mm -hmm. Is that a reasonable statement? Right. That because we love him, we rest in his good care and his plan, even when we don't understand. Well, Tim, we, we talked about early on when we entered into this discussion of the Ten Commandments several weeks ago that this is really the kind of the introduction to the law. And we're going to be reading an awful lot about the law, and God will hang a lot of different things on these hooks of the Ten Commandments. But we're going to take a little different approach. We've been doing pretty much verse-by-verse mm -hmm. expository preaching. We're going to continue in the expository preaching, but we're going to move in a different uh, at a different speed. Can you talk to us a little bit about that as we get ready to close? Of course. So as the, we get to the second half of the book of Exodus, there's some different literature that's here. Some of it is what I would call case law. So chapters 21 through 23 are the application of the Ten Commandments in specific practical laws 
that applied to the people of those days. Well, that's part of what we tried to do over these three weeks in the Ten Commandments, was to show how this works its way into practice in our lives. So we're not going to go verse by verse in terms of what their applications of those laws were, because we've already sought to do that. So when we get then to chapter 24, which will be our text this week, we see the ratification or or the confirmation of the covenant between God and humanity. It's just a, a beautiful, powerful picture of God drawing near to his people, the very ones that he said, stay back or you will die, have the opportunity to sit and have a meal with God. And in some ways, this is the the first Last Supper, as the the leadership commune with God and experience a right relationship with him by virtue of the blood that was shed. And then much of the rest of Exodus covers the instructions related to the tabernacle. And so we're going to dip into uh, chapter 32, which is the story of the golden calf, which most of us are familiar with. And then chapter 34, which is God's display of his glory on Mount Sinai to Moses. And then we're going to wrap up in chapter 40, which we'll look at the tabernacle broadly, but God's arrival into the tabernacle specifically and and understand that the very God who came to dwell among his people in the tabernacle is the same God who sent his son to tabernacle with his people as, as God in the flesh when Christ came to earth. Great. Well, I look forward to that study. Look forward to advancing it on. And uh, th- this study is planned to end approximately when? To... At the end of September, the last Sunday of September. Okay. And we being here in uh, the middle to the end of August, we've got about another month or six weeks to mm-hmm. go. Very good. Well, Tim, thanks for being with us. Appreciate your good work in this regard and uh, keep it up. Thank you. Well, it's been good to be back with Tim Cockrell for this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon from Exodus chapter 20, and you can access that sermon and all Grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next week. John Davis will be taking over the hosting duties for a couple of weeks in my absence, and we'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word as Tim once again leads us in our study of Exodus. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.